Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today we're continuing our sermon series from 1 Thessalonians with the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13-20. through 20. And the title of the message today is Crowns. Paul describes the Thessalonian church as his crown of boldness. And today we're going to take a few moments and look at the crowns that are promised in the New Testament. Crowns are perhaps not something we're all too familiar with here in the United States, though we do often crown beauty queens and perhaps we crown our daughters as princesses. Royal crowns are something else altogether, and I'd like to direct your attention to the British Imperial State Crown. This is the crown worn by Queen Elizabeth II. It was placed upon her head at the end of her coronation ceremony, and now she wears it at the opening of each parliament. The Imperial State Crown is about 12 and a half inches tall and weighs 2.3 pounds. It has four fleur-de-lis and four crosses pata, supporting two arches, topped by a monde and a cross pata. It is a it has a purple velvet cap trimmed in ermine. The frame is made out of gold, silver, and platinum. The crown is, get this, decorated with 2,000 868 diamonds, 273 pearls, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, and 5 rubies. There is a very large ruby in the front of the crown called the Black Prince's Ruby. It's, it's very large. It weighs 170 carats. The physical materials of this imperial state crown are estimated to be worth $39 million. However, this crown and the rest of the English crown jewels are thought to be priceless, and as such, they're not insured. They are considered irreplaceable. The materials, they say, will be hard to replace, but especially the history and significance of these crown jewels are impossible to replace. And though they're considered priceless, there is an estimate to what they think it might be worth, and they believe the crown jewels altogether, that imperial state crown and all the other crown jewels altogether, would be worth close to $4 billion. In an interview about the imperial state crown, that $39 million crown, the queen remarked that it is a very unwieldy crown when she wears it. And she says, you cannot look down to read a speech. You must bring your notes up. Because if you look down, your neck would break and the crown would fall off. She continues after laughing a little bit, saying, so there are some disadvantages to crowns, but otherwise they are quite important things. I love that line. They are quite important things. As we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians, Paul shares his thankfulness for the Thessalonian church, and he describes how the Thessalonians imitate the churches in Judea, and they joined with the churches in Judea in their suffering, and he speaks to those uh, who oppose, he speaks of those who oppose Christians, and he, he speaks that their opposition is unknowingly against all of humanity. And Paul expresses his longing for the Thessalonian Christians. He misses them. He cares about them. And then he proclaims that the Thessalonians are his crown of 
boasting. And that's a phrase when I studied this passage. I just locked onto and thought, we ought to dig into that to talk about a church being a crown of boasting and, and what other crowns are mentioned in the New Testament. So it would do us good to take a few minutes today and look at this idea of Paul talking about a crown of boasting and really the church wearing crowns that are promised in the New Testament. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. And Paul writes these words and says, And also we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of Christ, of Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased the Lord, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What a word that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Crowns are very important. Perhaps we do not think very much about crowns as Americans. Perhaps you're sitting here today thinking that a crown is, is not a very humble object. And when you think of the imperial state crown, you sure, certainly would be right. Crowns are not designed to be humble. They're designed to proclaim power, authority, and significance. Bob Dylan pointed out in his song, You Gotta Serve Somebody, that everybody must serve some sort of master. We do not get a choice. So the end of the chorus of that song goes like this. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. I think something similar happens with the idea of crowns. Every Christian wears a crown and every Christian holds the promise of a crown from God. And every non-Christian is promised by the world a fake crown. This world promises that we can be our own king and queen. We can be our own authority over ourselves. That we can be the ruler of our own lives. Everyone wears a crown. The question is, are you wearing a heavenly crown that is full of the promises of God? Or are you wearing an earthly crown that is full of the broken promises and ultimately full of sorrow and death? So let's take a moment and talk about crowns. The concept of crowns, uh, let's go to Webster's Dictionary. This offers a couple of definitions for crown. We won't list all of them, but here are a couple of the key definitions. Crown is defined as a reward of victory or a mark of honor. It's defined as a royal or imperial headdress, a cap of sovereignty. We often hear the word diadem when it comes to a royal person. Crown can also mean the highest part, such as the topmost part of the skull or head, the crown of our heads, right? The summit of a mountain, the top of a tree or a of a shrub. And finally, Webster points out that a crown can be something that imparts splendor, honor, or, I like the word as it uses, finish, meaning a culmination, like a crowning achievement. 
In the New Testament, the Greek word for crown that's most often used is stephanos. Uh, and it's the word we use to describe crowns. And stephanos has definitions that are similar to what we've already heard. It, it, some of the Greek word definitions are a wreath of fo- foliage uh, worn by one held in high regard, that which serves as an adornment or source of pride, and finally, an award or prize for exceptional service or conduct. And this gives us something to think about, to think of a crown as a mark of honor, a symbol of sovereignty, a culmination, a prize for exceptional conduct. It would appear that crowns are meant to set a person apart, to show honor to the wearer, and crowns are rightly associated with royalty. Perhaps you do not like the idea of being royalty or marked as special, but if you are a Christian, you are a part of the family of God. You are a child of the king. You are marked and set apart for God's kingdom. The Christian is precious to God, not in a way that demeans others, and we must learn to, dece- to discern between the ways of God and the ways of sinful man. Too often, we, in the sinful ways of man, we look at those with blessing and power and think the best solution, oh, look at what they have, is to pull them down. God's ways is not to pull down powerful people, but to lift people up towards him. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for our sins, to offer forgiveness to all who would believe. God did not become less holy so that we could draw near him. He offered forgiveness and restoration so that we could be drawn near to him. him. He lifted us up. It's a little bit to think about with crowns. I want to talk about five crowns that you can read about in the New Testament. I'm not sure it's really, truly right to think of these as separate crowns or even as literal crowns that you would wear on your head, but the Bible calls them crowns. And perhaps crown is the best word in human understanding for capturing what God is doing for us. So I want to take a moment. We're just going to go real quickly and look at five different crowns that the Bible talks about. And the first one Paul talks about in the text we read today, he says crown of boasting, but the word could actually be translated as probably better rendered crown of rejoicing, a celebration. And that's what we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. I'll throw in verse 20 as well. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. This is the crown that Paul describes from our text today. And I know the ESV renders it crown of boasting. The word really is exalting, celebrating. For Paul, the steadfastness of the Thessalonians is something to celebrate. And it's a crown from his ministry as an apostle. And we are called, and we know as Christians, to be a rejoicing people. Philippians 4.7 uh, says this, four, verses 4-7 through seven says this, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonably, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God gives us a crown of rejoicing to wear. It is built out out of the victories of his kingdom and the gospel mission. He promises, his promises are what enable us to rejoice. This is a great comfort when we face sorrow. The crown of rejoicing is the promise that sorrow does not rule forever, that sorrow will end and be replaced 
by true, true rejoicing the promises of heaven. A second crown you can read about in the New Testament is the crown of righteousness. You'll find it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The text reads like this. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. I am glad for the crown of righteousness. I cannot make myself righteous before God. The righteousness of Jesus is what allows us to look forward to this crown. Satan likes to remind us of our sin and our mistakes. He likes to bring up the past that we want to forget. And when Satan whispers to you about what, who you were before you became a Christian, uh, remind him that you have the promise of the crown of righteousness from Jesus. Satan's whispers about your past are nothing compared to the promises of Jesus. Do not let that past think that you are disqualified from the righteousness that Jesus offers, that crown of righteousness. A third crown talked about in the New Testament is the crown of glory. And you'll find it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And the text reads like this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Glory is hard to get our mind around. We know that we are to give glory to God, but a crown of glory? Glory is the reward for enduring faithfulness to God, to be accepted by Him, to be able to stand in His presence and experience Him in heaven. Can you imagine that moment as we stand in heaven before God? I don't know if I can describe it any other way than just simply the word glory. How wonderful that moment will be to be able to stand before the face of God. A crown of glory we look forward to. Romans 8.18 tells us this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I look forward to that day. A fourth crown that we can find in the New Testament is the crown of life. Revelation 2.10 talks about this crown. It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And this is Jesus talking. He says, And I will give you the crown of life, a gift of life. Wow. And James chapter 1, verse 12 says something very similar. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God alone offers life. Every promise from this world is hollow and leads to brokenness and death. Only God can give life, and he promises it as a crown of life. The fifth and final crown I want to mention today is the imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25 describe this imperishable crown. It says this, Do you not know that a race is that in a race all the runners run. I always thought that was a strange phrase. Of course all the runners run, right? Start again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. 
the NIV translation makes it perhaps a little bit more clear with crown language, and it reads like this. They do it to gain a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This crown is a precious promise of God. So much in this world, uh, so much of this world just falls apart and fails. I hate keep going back to 2020. It's like the cliche of the year. Well, 2020, everything's going wrong, right? Well, what a reminder that this world is perishable. This world falls short. This world is full of mistakes. This world is full of hurts. And we are promised an imperishable crown. Whenever you feel let down by life and let down by this world, remember and stand on the promise of Christ that you, as a believer in Jesus, have an imperishable crown. So these are the crowns promised in the New Testament. But you need to be aware that there are other crowns. The world offers a crown for the Christian. Actually, it offers a couple of crowns for the Christian. And beware of the first. And be ready for the second. The first crown is this. The world offers a false crown. This crown is the lie that we are our own king, that we are our own master and our own authority. If you have been wearing that crown, I urge you today to take it off and put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's so easy to put on that crown and we say, well, I know myself. I know what's best for me. I, I got to do what's true for me. I got to do what I need to do so I can learn who I really am. It's all this language we use that makes us the authority, but we are to make Jesus the authority of our life. That is the false crown this world offers. And once you put it on, you sign up for death. But the world offers a second crown. And I urge Christians, be ready for this second crown. Because if you live for Jesus well, you will have this crown. You may not like it, but it's one that the world will give you. This crown is for the Christian for the Christian who is true to Jesus. And it's a crown that you don't want to hear about. But Paul mentioned it in our text today. Maybe he didn't say the word crown, but he mentioned it. It's there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind. This second crown that the world offers is a crown of suffering. The world gave this crown to Jesus as well. It's there in Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. It's in the other Gospels too. It says, we are told of the crown that a Roman soldier gave to Jesus. And there in Matthew 27, 29, it says, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It's a crown of suffering. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says this, do you expect to be honored in a world where your Lord was crucified? What a powerful thought that is. And I think we're uncomfortable with that, but it's truth. Do you expect to be honored in a world where your Lord was crucified? Too many of us are trying to wear the beautiful crowns that Jesus promises to the Christian and yet avoid the crown of suffering. If we truly follow Jesus, this world will put a crown of thorns on our heads. 
It's a story I'd like to read to you. It's during China's Boxer Rebellion in 1900, the insurgents captured a mission statement, and they blocked all the gates but one, and in front of that one gate they placed a cross flat on the ground, and then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but any refusing to step on that cross would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she arose and moved carefully around the cross and then went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to that firing squad. A Crown of Suffering So what are we to do? With crowns, the crowns the New Testament promises, the crowns, the crown of suffering that the world offers. What do we do? And what you do with the crown does make all the difference. If your crown is for your pride and authority, then you're going to make hollow the promises of God. You only wear an ugly and gaudy trinket on your head if you make it about yourself. But the Bible tells us that these crowns mark us as God's royal people. And there is a place where the crowns are described as put into action. It's in Revelation chapter 4. It's a, it's a chapter that describes the, the throne room of heaven. It is a magnificent scene of, of wonder and power. Every detail in Revelation chapter 4 is meant to describe the majesty of God. Around the throne are, are described 24 elders robed in white, seated on their own thrones, and they have crowns on their heads. And these 24 elders we find, if we study the book of Revelation, represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And in other words, they represent all of the people of God. And in the throne room, there are these living creatures. Perhaps we understand them as angels. And, and the description of these creatures is truly otherworldly. And that's where I want to pick up the text. I want to read the scene in the throne room of heaven and, and, and how you hear how the crowns are used by believers. So Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy of you worthy are you o lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created the crowns jesus promises are not for our own selfish gain they're not for our own glory and pride they are for the worship of god have you practiced worshiping jesus with the crowns that he has promised we do this when we see the triumph of heaven, when the world wants to crown the Christian with suffering. There is a story of an early Christian martyr, her name is Perpetua, who, being killed in the Roman Colosseum, managed to see triumph instead of suffering. Here is a piece of her story. The day of their victory dawned, and they marched 
from the prison to the amphitheater joyfully as though they were going to heaven, with calm faces, trembling, if at all, with joy rather than fear. Perpetua then began to sing a psalm, and then the story continues, and it describes some of the things that happened in the Colosseum. And it says, first a heifer, a bull, a cow, tossed Perpetua, and she fell on her back. And then sitting up, she pulled down the tunic that was ripped along the side, so that it covered her, thinking more of her modesty than of her pain. Next, she asked for a pin to fasten her hair. For it was not right that a martyr should die with her hair in disorder, lest she might seem to be mourning in her hour of triumph. Then she got up, and seeing that Felicitas had been crushed to the ground, she, she went over and gave her her hand and lifted her up. Then the two stood side by side, but the mob asked that their bodies be brought out into the open, that their eyes might be the guilty witnesses of the sword that pierced their flesh. And so the martyrs got up and went to that spot of their own accord. What a testimony of Perpetua and Felicitas, that they saw triumph instead of sorrow. That Perpetua would say, I want a pin for my hair, so that the crowd would not confuse the disorder of her hair from mourning with the triumph of heading towards heaven. When you sorrow, remember that you have been given a crown of rejoicing. When you feel shame over your sin, remember you have been given a crown of righteousness. When you feel unworthy, embarrassed, or worthless, you have been given a crown of glory. When you face death and failure, remember that you've been given the crown of life. When your world is crumbling around you and everything seems to be going wrong, remember you've been given the imperishable crown. These crowns do not erase our current struggles, but they change the outlook. They are the promise of our destination, the kingdom of heaven, and who we are, sons and daughters of the king. If you are a Christian, you wear these promises of Jesus as a crown. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises. Lord, help us not to shy away from the struggle the world would place on the church. Help us to be faithful in the midst of the pressure that we would proclaim the triumph of Christ. Lord, help me to remember the promises of your crowns. When I'm down, when I'm struggling, when life isn't going as planned, when I'm tempted to put on my own crown and try my own authority, in those moments, remind me and remind those here listening of your promises of rejoicing, righteousness, glory, life, and imperishableness. Lord, help me to give you glory and worship in all I do so that I am well practiced at placing crowns at your feet. I do not want to keep the crowns for myself. I want you to be glorified by these promises you give, these crowns that you give. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.